Cosmos Science. News, magazine, podcasts, video and features. This season of Debunks is brought to you by NRMA Insurance. You most probably can't answer this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How many of these fires do you think have been deliberately lit? There's few crimes that draw people's rage quite like arson during a fire season. If you were listening to the radio during the Black Summer, you might have heard a lot about arson and fires that were deliberately lit. We heard earlier in the week a nine-year-old boy had used a blowtorch to start a grass fire at Nowra, south of Sydney, and a man was arrested on Monday cooking his breakfast on an open coal barbecue. Look, it's time we got tough on these people. This is a form of domestic terrorism. Arson makes people angry, and it should. It's a very destructive crime. But when we get angry, we don't think as critically. And that means there's opportunity for myths and rumours to start flying. And in early 2020, Australia found itself in the grip of a very powerful rumour. The idea that all or most bushfires are caused by arsonists. So how much truth is there to the rumour? Do arsonists really cause most of our bushfires? I'm Emma Perfetto, a science journalist at Cosmos, and you're listening to Debunks. Today, we're doing detective work on how bushfires start, who lights them, and are arsonists the main cause? But first, we should understand why we're even asking this question. Dr Paul Reid, a criminologist and psychologist who specialises in arson, reckons he has an answer. It starts back in the 2019-2020 Black Summer fires. I was working in the Amazon at the time when the megafires came out and I was getting calls from all over Australia and all around the world about megafires. And this, obviously, at the very beginning, when arson was a major issue, that's when they were contacting me. But then Breitbart News came out with the idea, this hashtag arson emergency. Soon, Donald Trump Jr., son of the then US president, was tweeting about arson in Australia. In fact, there were tens of thousands of tweets, many of which didn't come from people. Dr Timothy Graham was able to identify using bot detection software that the great majority of these were automated. And so it was a concerted misinformation campaign by right-wing commentators to use the arson theme for climate denialism. It didn't take long for these sentiments to appear at home. It was then peddled further by a group of journalists in Australia, Andrew Bolt being one, Alan Jones being the main person who said that if it is arson, it cannot be climate change. And this is a total nonsense. This is a false dichotomy. Yeah, 27 after 6, 27 after 5 in Queensland. On all this nonsense about climate change and bushfires, I have written about that in today's Daily Telegraph. It's on page 13. Paul found himself in front of several international news outlets, explaining that arson wasn't the only thing driving the bushfires. But he says this intense political pressure sparked myths flying among their opponents too. But what happened is because of this intense disinformation campaign, people who were worried about climate said that arson must be a myth. It's not a myth. We still have a clear and present danger in relation to arson. When people get angry, rumours fly faster. So what's the real story? 
What's the science? Bushfires need the right weather conditions, the right fuel, and an ignition source. We talked about fuel in our hazard reduction burn episode. Now, let's take a look at the ignition source. How do fires start? Scientists have known for decades that the biggest natural source is lightning. You might think that on an extreme fire day, when it's hot and dry, there's not much lightning to worry about. But lightning can strike days or weeks earlier and burn into a tree trunk that remains hot until the conditions are favourable for bushfires. And lightning also strikes on dry days. Data from the Bureau of Meteorology and NASA shows that in southern Australia, there's about one lightning strike per five square kilometres over summer. It gets more common the further north you go, with Darwin seeing dozens of flashes in a square kilometre. Dry lightning, when there's lightning but very little rain, is particularly risky. And it's particularly common following a heatwave, when all that hot air evaporates rain before it hits the ground. And lightning often comes with a cool change, which can be the most dangerous point for bushfires. That's because there are big changes in wind speed and direction, which makes fires behave differently. Okay, so that's the biggest natural cause. Then there's human causes. Many of these are accidents. Machinery and vehicles and paddocks, power lines or railway lines, smoking, burn-offs and campfires. Embers from a burn-off can smoulder for months, so a fire lit in winter can still cause problems if it's not properly extinguished. And finally, there is the deliberately lit fire. Arson. So how do you figure out if a fire's been lit deliberately, or accidentally, or naturally? After all, a great deal of the evidence is burned. Richard Woods has spent decades figuring this out. The key with this whole process is, even like structure fires, you, you need to follow the, the patterns the fire impacted on the landscape. Richards worked as a police officer, a manager with rural fire services, and as a fire investigator. These days, he's a lecturer at Charles Sturt University. So what we do here in Australia, in fact, my, my role internationally in, in training has been to promote a, a methodology that is born out of the United States that basically follows what we call fire pattern indicators. And this is just the way that fire reacts to the landscape, to the way it burns different uh, vegetation types, the way it reacts when it, it encounters uh, non-combustible items, leaving things such as staining and sooting and so forth, just the byproducts of the combustion process. And the key to this whole process is having a, an understanding the way that wildfires behave and then applying that to what we see in the post-fire environment. Richard says that these indicators are like guideposts, drawing you back to the point where the fire ignited. And it's at that point, once you locate that ignition area, then you go and look for the cause. Sometimes the cause that seems most logical isn't actually all that likely. A good example is a lot of roadside fires people write off as being discarded cigarettes. Well, not all cigarettes that are discarded will, will cause a, a bushfire or a wildfire. There's got to be certain parameters that line up specifically allowing for a cigarette to ignite grassland fuels, for instance. One of the avenues that I've been working on with colleagues in Canada recently is looking at the way in which cigarettes do ignite very fine grassland fuels that are very dry. 
one of the key things we found is the cigarette tip needs to be embedded into the the grass fuel. So if someone just drops a, a cigarette onto grassland and it doesn't have that contact point, the opportunity for ignition is very slim. More coming up after this. Welcome back. If you collect enough scientific evidence that a fire might have been deliberately lit, then you start looking for legal evidence to see who might have lit it. Fire investigator Richard Woods is telling us about catching arsonists. I guess one of the one of the bottom lines is we often rely on the public, you know, and the public's been incredibly useful, particularly people that are living in that urban interface area where they back onto bushland and grassland reserves. And if they're noticing people coming and going and they're taking note of vehicles or trail bikes or bushwalkers and so forth, and there's been a number of cases certainly in Australia that have been solved because there's been very reliable witness evidence that comes forward about what they saw prior to this fire occurring. Richard says these investigations work best when they're interdisciplinary. There are firefighters, fire experts and police working together. That's one of the best models that we have going. There's a couple of states that have officers embedded in police agencies around the country, and particularly during the summer period, where the the fire officer is working with the police full-time to tackle fire outbreaks as they occur and identify any trends there. So it's not something that can be solved individually, and, and it's not just a policing problem. So that's how you catch an arsonist. Now, how common are they? Well... We can see how many arson convictions there have been in an area. But that's not the full story. Just because a fire was suspicious doesn't mean that an arsonist is going to be caught and convicted. And unsurprisingly, the statistics vary a lot from place to place. Arson is more common in highly populated areas. The most cited estimate we have for all of Australia comes from a 2008 report by criminologist Dr Colleen Bryant. That report found that there were about 60,000 vegetation fires attended by emergency services every year. Here's Paul Reid again. We know that of those 62,000 from the original Bryant report, 13% are deliberately killed. 37% are suspicious. That's a good 50%. It's worth noting that vegetation fires are a broader category than bushfires. For instance, this study includes small fires that were stopped early by authorities. Those fires might have turned into bushfires, but they might not have. So that 50% number is at the high end of our best estimates. Still, up to half could be arson. That's quite high. Richard Woods agrees with the Bryant statistics, but says that there's a caveat. That doesn't mean the whole state is 50% of fires are all deliberate. It may be within that jurisdiction, within that state or within that city, for instance, that there's pockets of of fire lighting activity that are caused by deliberate fire lighters. Arson isn't a uniquely Australian problem either. So when you actually boil that down is, well, how bad is the problem? We're no different to any other country around the world. Wildfire arson is a major issue for every country that has fires, Canada, North America, or US rather, Europe as well. And I've done a lot of work over in the Netherlands, for instance, who have a a very big arson problem and tackling it is a major challenge for organisations. Criminologist Paul Reid has a caveat to this 2008 report too. However, we are in a new normal because of climate change. And that alters the statistics, or that has at least altered the statistics since 2020. During the Black Summer, 
we didn't just see weather affect fire, we saw fire affect weather. Climate change has most definitely increased the likelihood of megafires. We've been warning that climate change would increase the likelihood of megafires for at least a decade. And what happened with the 2020 megafires is that they created their own weather. Pyrocumulonimbus clouds can cause lightning 100 kilometres ahead of the fire front, as well as that you've got embers burning 30 kilometres and more ahead of the fire front, and that creates its own weather. A pyrocumulonimbus cloud is a thunderstorm caused by a bushfire. They form when the column of hot air rising from the bushfire interacts with the rest of the atmosphere. And during the black summer, they were a major source of dry lightning. And lightning strikes, according to satellite data, accounted for about 50% of the fires. However, the original Queensland data of the 1,000 or so fires that were lit, it turned out that 114 were deliberately lit, which comes to 11%, which is exactly what the original Bryant data showed. Okay. So about a tenth of fires are started by arson, and perhaps up to half could be. That's a pretty high number, but the fires wouldn't be as bad if it weren't for climate change. It is a polarised, false dichotomy. It's not only a myth that arson caused megafires, it's also a myth that arson and climate change are mutually exclusive. They are both occurring at the same time. In fact, Paul's willing to go even further. And given the causes of the sociocriminologic uh, conditions that cause arson, it's like they actually emerge from the same processes. Climate change is all about inequity. And this is another argument alt-right people will attack, and I've, I've been attacked for this in the past. But inequality worldwide and greed is causing climate change. It's actually inequality and greed, which is also causing us, ironic. That's not to say that climate change is causing us, which is an insane misattribution, but they're being caused by the same processes in society. That leads us to another question. What are arsonists like? Well, half of them are quite young. All crimes peak between the ages of 15 and 21, including arson. So when you see that 50% of arsonists are below the age of 21, they're just following the normal age crime curve, which is no different from any other crime that they commit. But when it comes to the older arsonists, they're a different breed altogether. Not all of them have been caught. It's the older ones we really need to worry about. There is only a very small percentage of child arsonists that are truly malicious. What we find with the data, if we correlate the days upon which children light fires, it's all over the place. It's all different times, winter, summer, spring. But if you correlate the times that older arsonists light fires, it's always on the hottest days and it's always closest to communities. That's true malice. One of the problems that fire agencies face up to every now and then is the, is the firefighter arsonist, you know, and it's it's not uncommon internationally as well. How do we stop arson? Richard says we have to catch arsonists. One of the best things that I've found in my experience is is the prosecution of arsonists because many of these people think they're not going to get caught. And when they do get caught, that puts a really solid message out to the others that, hey, I might be next. So there's a good deterrent there as well. Arson is a real problem and agencies are very concerned by it. But that doesn't mean that climate change isn't worsening fires too. 
we do have an arsenal problem, and that remains. We must keep our eyes open in both directions. We've got climate change as the conditions that create these meat fires, and at the same time, we've got arson as one source of ignition. We're going to look more deeply at what climate change is doing to bushfires next episode. This episode was the fourth part in our series about bushfires. We'll be back in a couple of days with our fifth and final episode in the series. Has Australia always had fires this bad? Debunks is a podcast made in the Cosmos newsroom. This episode was produced by Ellen Fidian, edited by Andrew Wyrell, and hosted by me, Emma Perfetto. If you enjoyed the show, let us know by rating or writing a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Follow us in your favourite podcast app so you know when our next episode drops. The Royal Institution of Australia is on Ghana land in South Australia. If you want more science, check out our website, cosmosmagazine.com, and follow us on Instagram at Cosmos Magazine. Cosmos Magazine.